paper. I want you to right now, write down three names. Three is not the important number. It can be one. It can be four. But a few names. Don't spend the whole time writing out everybody's name. Write down a few names of people that you would say, those are my closest. Those are my closest people. It might be a spouse. It might be a best friend. It could be a parent. I just want you to physically write down or jot it in your phone. Here are the one, two, three, four, five closest people that I have in my life currently. Write those names down, a few names in there. And then when you're done with that, if you're writing it physically, I want you to draw just a circle around it. So you should have a few names written down somewhere and then just one big circle around it. As you're finishing that up, we're going through this series, Meaningless, where we're looking at Solomon's writings in Ecclesiastes, where he shows these kind of two tensions, these two perspectives of a meaningless life and a meaningful life. Meaningless life is without God, meaning full life is, is with God, but what do we do with our friendships and our relationships? How do those interact in our relationship with God, but also just in our life here and now? And what we see is we're going to reference back to those names quite a bit here uh, as we go through this morning. But what we're going to see is Solomon kind of helps us figure out what it looks like to not just have meaningful friendships and meaningful relationships, but how to find them, how to grow them, how to develop them, how to sustain them and keep them. Now, keep in mind, as we go through this, we're not just talking spouses and family. I mean, it's, it's people that you would say friend or family. These are the people that are closest to me. You should have a, a few names down or the circle around it, we'll come back to it. Because what we notice is on that list, like I said, it's just a few. But if we were to go to your Facebook, your Instagram, or if you still have a MySpace maybe floating out there somewhere, you have tons of people that have checked a box to say they like you or they want to follow you or they're your friend. I'm the same way. I've got my Facebook and my Instagram, and I've got hundreds of Facebook friends and Instagram followers, not to brag, but it's quite a few. All those people... All those people, man, they would consider, well, they're, they're my friends, right? And so those friends that see me on all my social platforms, they get to see the side of me that I choose for them to see, right? We just show certain amount of things. So for example, if you are my friend on Facebook or Instagram, you'll see a picture like this. You'll see me post all the time when Becky and I go out on our date night. So this was a couple Fridays ago to Costco for our date night. Great times. You'll see me post about my kids so when we go and do things as a family, you'll see me const constantly post. Now, two things you need to notice about this. Yes, I know I'm wearing the same shirt that I was in and wearing in my other one. The second one is that is the, the family photo criteria that we use is one smiling child out of the three. That's all we need. If it's one out of the three, we're good. We're going to post it. So you'll see me post things about me and Becky. You'll see th me post things about me and my family. You'll see me post a ton of stuff about church. I love our church, love what God's doing in and through our church and in our community. So you'll see me post all those kinds of things. And if you follow me and if you're my friend on Facebook, you feel like you get to know me. You feel like, man, I, I just, I, I feel like I'm right there with him celebrating his son's birthday all day yesterday. And you just feel like you're part of something. However, there's a lot of things that don't go on that platform. There's a lot of things that all of those other Facebook friends have no clue what's going on in my life. I have another picture that I went back and forth and back and forth whether I was actually going to show you. And in the spirit of transparency and vulnerability, I'm going to share this with you against better judgment, mind you. So I'm going to share this, and you need to know this did not go on social media. This did not go on Facebook or Instagram. My Facebook friends don't know anything about this next photo. 
this photo was only sent to a very select few close. Like my, my few with the circle around it, it only went to them. So they knew what was going on in my life. Here's the picture that until now, only a few have ever seen. Now let's be clear. This picture is not a mugshot picture. <laughs> this is how rumors get started. It's gonna be in the news tomorrow. Dawson County pastor, DUI picture in church. <laughs> not it. This picture was not taken at a police station. Everybody nod that you understand me. If you're watching online, comment that you understand me. This was taken in the doctor's office of an urgent care facility a couple weeks ago. So I got home from work and my face was kind of itchy and it started to blow up just on the right side and eye got swollen, face got swollen, neck and throat started to get swollen and Becky sees me, she's like, whoa, you should go to the doctor. And I'm like, no, no, you know, I'll just like take some kids Benadryl, I'll be okay. True story. When that didn't help, she says, like, no, seriously, your face is a problem. You need to go to the doctor now. It was like 8.30 at night. There's one urgent care open over in Gainesville. So I hightail it out there. I get to the front desk, and they're like, oh, fill this out. They didn't even ask what was wrong. They said, fill this out. We'll be right with you. When they say we'll be right with you and mean it, there is something absolutely wrong in an urgent care. So I get back in there and obviously they shoot me up with Benadryl and all sorts of other things, finally get the swelling to go down. But I texted this picture just to a handful of people to say, first of all, it's kind of funny looking. Second of all, please be praying that I get out of urgent care sometime soon. See, that's not something that goes to everybody, right? You have parts of your life that everybody sees. And then you have parts of your life that only a few people are even aware of. And you have to have both. You have to have a lot of the friends and acquaintances, the friends we'll call them that, but you have to have those people you wrote down, you've gotta have somebody like that. You've gotta have somebody that's a truth teller in your life, like no seriously, something's wrong, you need to go to the doctor. You need to have people in your life that know the good, the bad, the ugly, and the very ugly. You need to have people in your life that walk with you, that help you. You need to have people in your life that have your back no matter what, it's not about agreeing all the time, it's about they're supporting you and challenging you. You need to have people that call you out, you need to have people that, that tell you the way it is with grace, but a lot of truth and a lot of love. You need to have people in your life that make you better, that grow you and develop you. And what you start to see as you think through relationships and friends in that way, you start to see a little bit of a divide happening of the people in your life that you might call friends, but then the people in your life that are your true, deep, meaningful friends. And what we see is the need for both. But what we want to look at this morning is, from Solomon's perspective, what it looks like to have deep, real, and meaningful friendships and relationships, and why that is going to be important to have a meaningful life. Solomon wrote, obviously, Ecclesiastes. He also wrote a lot in Proverbs. He said this, said a lot about friends and relationships. I'll highlight two, Proverbs 18, 24. He said, there are friends, we know who those are, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. And there you see kind of that divide of people that are friends and then people that are true, deep, real, and meaningful friends and relationships in your life. Proverbs 27, 17, probably pretty familiar for you. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the other. In other words, you're developing each other. You're helping each other. You're growing with each other. You're actually better because of them. And yeah, there was some tension. Yes, it wasn't comfortable all the time, but there is intentionality in these meaningful relationships. 
So let's see what he says in Ecclesiastes. Again, Ecclesiastes has been our study this month. He starts out in chapter 1. If you weren't here, he said, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. And he's asking the question, what's the point? Again, these two tensions, a meaningless life, a meaningful life, meaningless without God, meaningful with God. How does that relate to our relationships, whether that be family, whether that be marriages, whether that be close friends? Whatever those relationships are, how do we make sure that they are meaningful and not meaningless? Here's how he begins. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 7, he's going to give us these two perspectives, which is on par for how he writes. He writes this in chapter 4, verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun, just something else he had observed. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. Who am I working for, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, he observed. A miserable business. So similar to what Solomon has been doing, he observes, observes something and then he comments on it. He observes a man all by himself. And again, this is not anything about being single or not. It's not a romantic relationship status. He's saying, here's a man that had no one close to him. He didn't have a list of one, two, three, four, five with a circle around it. He had no one around him. So he's saying, what's the point then? Why work so hard? Why try to achieve and obtain all these things? I don't have anybody else to share it with. It's meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Two things I want to point out real fast here. One of them, prepare yourselves, this is going to be a little bit of a soapbox. If I had one, I would literally stand on it for you. He says something here that we don't want to miss. He says, there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Here's how I interpret that in my own personal life. There are things we have to do. There are things we have to get done. There are things we want to obtain and achieve, right? Wealth, status, promotions, we want that certain job. We want that paycheck or that pay raise. There's all, thing, all these things that we spend a lot of time, effort, and energy on trying to obtain. But here he says, but that's not enough. I have all this wealth, but I don't have anybody to go home to. I have all this wealth, but I don't have any relationships that are meaningful. So here's how I've been applying this to my life, and I hope this might spark something in you. We're good at spending all of our time, effort, and energy obtaining things and then we say things like, so I can provide for these people in my life. Let me caution you with that. Yes, I get seasons. I get sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to make ends meet. I get all that. You are not replaceable to your family. You can obtain all of the wealth and all of these jobs and all of this status and all of these achievements. But if you're spending overtime at work, that means you're spending less time with the people you say you have a meaningful relationship with. Let me caution you, bringing home less money so you spend more time at home with your family, my opinion, worth it. So caution yourselves, because here he says, it's pointless. I've gained all this, but I go home and I have no one. So may we make sure that we don't spend all of this time trying to provide and we lose our family in the process of providing for them. You cannot be replaced with the people that care about you most. Soapbox done. Now we'll get on to the other stuff. Take it or leave it. The last part here, he says, this too is meaningless, very typical for what Solomon writes, but the last part is interesting. He says, he adds on a miserable business, the idea of having no meaningful relationships. 
You have no one around you, so it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's nothing new under the sun, but it's now a miserable business. Now, when you think of the word misery, probably a lot of things come to mind, but it probably doesn't go to the depth and the extent that Solomon intends for it to here. Literally, this word miserable, translated literally in this context, would be evil, wicked, or to destroy. That puts a little bit different spin on that, doesn't it? The fact that we work so hard, but then we have no one, not only is it meaningless, pointless, it's wicked. It'll destroy your life. It's wrong. See, God did not create us to live on our own in isolation. He created us to be with one another in meaningful friendships, with meaningful relationships. And when we try to go through this life on our own, it's not at this point even about meaningful or meaningless. It's about right or wrong. We were intended to go through life with one another to allow other people into our lives and for us to be inserted into the lives of others. He built us, created us, intended us to be in relationships and have friendships that are deep, real, and meaningful. And when we miss out on that, it's not only meaningless, it's miserable as well. So that's the meaningless perspective that he observes. Now he's going to switch over. He says, so here's what meaningful relationships look like. In your friends and with your families, with your spouse and your kids, here's what a meaningful relationship looks like. Starting in verse 9, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. It's a good investment. You pour in and you get much more out of it. If they fall down, they can help each other up. But pity those who fall and have no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm all alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And perhaps the most famous line in all of the book of Ecclesiastes, a cord of three strands is not quickly or not easily, what's it say? Broken. A cord of three strands is not easily or nor is it quickly broken. Now it's good to point out the quantities that Solomon points out here, the numbers, where he starts out by saying this one person all alone, person of one, miserable and meaningless. He says, but when you add just one more, because then he says, two are better than one. He doesn't go from one to a hundred. He goes from one to two. So quantity, yes, is important, as long as you're talking about just one more, from one to two. He says, two is better than one, not 200. He says, it's a cord of three strands, not 300. So we're not talking Facebook, friends, how many can I get? We're talking that one, two, three, four, five people you wrote and put a circle around. We have to have meaningful, deep, meaningful relationships. And we can only do that with a handful of people tops. So he's saying here, yeah, you've got to have that. It's so important, but it's not about quantity. It's about quality. And you can only have quality, deep, real, meaning relationships and friendships with people, but it's got to be a relatively low number. You're not able to list everybody on what I had you do earlier. You've got one, two, three, four, or five. Now, what you'll notice then, too, is he gives almost like a list for that latter part. Meaningless relationships like this, here's what meaningful looks like. And it's almost like he's giving markers of, here's how you can figure out if you have meaningful relationships. Here's how you can discern how to be a meaningful friend in a relationship. Here's how you can keep and sustain and develop a deep, real, and meaningful relationship. The rest of these that he gives, starting in verse nine all the way through the end, is really just saying, here's the check boxes. So what I want you to do as we go through these kind of individually, Reference back to the names that you wrote down and do some, some true evaluation here of are these friends truly deep and meaningful relationships? Do I need to pour more into them? 
Maybe I, I thought they were deep and meaningful, but maybe not so much. Man, they are, and I'm so thankful. So do a little bit of evaluating as we go through and see how your meaningful relationships, how they check the boxes here. So he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Here's the first one. If they fall down, they can help each other up. First question to ask about your relationships, them with you and you with them is, do they help you? Kind of a, an obvious and generic question to ask about friends, isn't it? And our response is usually, well, of course they do. Let me dig a little bit deeper with you. Do they help you without asking for anything in return? Do they, do they help you before you even ask for it? Do they help you because of who you are, not because what you can do for them? Do they help you in the highs of life and in the lows of life? Do they help you through the messiness of life? Do they help you? The flip side of that, the opposite of that, would be what I would call the oh no person. The oh no person is when you get a text message, before you even see what the text is, you see the name and you say, oh no. And then you debate whether you read it or not, because you have to be careful. If you have read receipts on your text messages, you've got to be very careful with that. Side note, some of you are like, what? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Ask your kids. They know. You see, you say, oh, no. It's when you get a phone call, and you pick it up, and before you even know the name, you hear the voice, and you say, oh, no, I shouldn't have answered this. It's you show up to, to a house or to a party or to a community event and, and you walk in and you're saying hey to people and you see in the far back, you see somebody and you're like, oh no, I didn't know they were going to be here. And then they look over in your direction and you have a moment. No, I mean, this is a, a moment decision. Do you make eye contact and commit or do you magically hear your name being called in the other room <laughs> and have to go, oh, uh, hey, oh, my phone's ringing. Honey, did you leave the car key somewhere? And you make an excuse and you hightail it out of there. That's the oh no person. Now, if you have not thought of an oh no person yet, you might be the oh no person. <laughs> Just saying. That's a whole nother counseling session. Anyway, text counseling to that number I sent you earlier. <laughs> Here's what that means though. Let's dig into why they're an oh no person. The reason they are probably an oh no person for you is because of what you will then say next. You say, oh no, wonder what they want now. See, the oh no person is somebody that just takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes until you have absolutely nothing left to give. They drain you. They deplete you. Now, I'm not saying you have nothing to do with that person, but I am saying that is not the description of a deep, healthy, real, and meaningful relationship if it's one-sided. If it's just take and take, you have nothing else to give to the point where you dread even having a conversation with them because you're like, I don't know what else they're going to ask. What else do they need? What else are they selling? What fundraisers are their kids doing now? All of those things. Oh no, now what? So do they help you without asking for anything in return? Is it a two-way street of helping one another? First marker of a meaningful relationship. Let's look at the second one. He says, also, verse 11, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now let me be very clear. Myself, including with Solomon here and God's words, we are not suggesting the interpretation of this is not that you and that circle of friends always have snuggle time together. <laughs> you and your spouse, between you, your spouse, and the Lord. But for the rest of you and your friends, that's not the suggestion here. He's giving a great illustration of what happens when two people 
are working together and create something they could not have on their own. You have two people that are cold. When they come together, they become warm. They cannot become warm on their own until they work together. That's his point. The word that we use a lot with this is called synergy. Something that happens, something that's created, something that is present when that group of people, when that, those two individuals come together that would not be present without them. Synergy. You know it when you see it kind of a thing, right? When the two of you work together, something happens. You go farther. You accomplish more. You make it through versus trying to do it on your own. Synergy. We see this not just in our human relationships. I kid you not, we see it with horses as well. So draft horses, you know, those big, muscular, massive horses. I'll put a picture up if you have no idea what I'm talking about, but surely you know these types of horses. The big, big horses, and their entire job is to just be a work horse, to pull massive amounts of workloads behind them. One workhorse, one draft horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. That's a ton. That is a lot of weight for one horse, one individual horse by itself to move. Now let's do some math here. If you take one workhorse being able to pull 8,000 pounds, you take a second draft workhorse, harness them together, work them together, time together. Now how much should they be able to pull? 8,000 plus 8,000, let's test our math, is... 16,000. Your math is great, but it's still wrong in this context. In reality, when you take two draft horses and put them together, they don't pull eight and eight equaling 16. They can pull up to 24,000 pounds together. It's phenomenal. Three times as much as they could on their own. More than we would think that they could ever do on their own or even together. Now, let me take this one step further. That's if you take two random draft horses and just put them together on a job for the first time. But if you take two draft horses that have been working together season after season, that they've been trained together, that they grew up together, that they're familiar with each other and they know each other, and you harness those two draft horses together, you ready for this? Not 16,000 pounds, not 24,000 pounds, over 30,000 pounds can they pull together, just the two of them. Synergy, something that would be absolutely impossible to do on your own. But when you follow this meaningful relationship suggestion from Solomon, all of a sudden something else is developed and created and present. In our lives, we pull so much, don't we? We're pulling around our past and our baggage. We're pulling around our jobs and our responsibilities. We're pulling around the difficulties of parenting and being married. We're pulling around the difficulties of our, our health. We're pulling around the difficulties of fill in the blank. We're pulling so much weight on our own. We feel like we have to do it on our own. What would happen if you pulled somebody else in with you and let them pull with you? That's what he's saying here. So here's the question. Do they make you better? Do they make you a better parent? Do they make you a better spouse? Do they make you a better boss, a better employee? Do they make you a better student? Do they make you better? Are you better because you're together with them than you are on your own? We all know what it's like to be in relationships with people where after you spend time with them, you don't like who you've become. It works on both sides of that. When you're around people that make you better, becomes a deep, real, meaningful relationship. Do they make you better? Spouses, this is a great exercise to do with you and your spouse. Be careful, you might not like what is said, but it's a good starting point. I'll ask Becky this all the time, I was like, 
are you better because of me? She's in the room, I'll answer for I know her answer. It's yes. I mean, it's of course, right? She's nodding emphatically if you can't see her, aren't you, Becky? Yes, you are. Yes, she's nodding. Moving on. So do they make you better? Third one. Third one. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Simply asked, do they have your back? This is not the fair weather friend that is only around you when things are good. This is the friend that says, man, I'm with you. This is a friend that says, you were wrong, but I'm not going to leave you for it. I'm, I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to challenge you through it. This is a friend that sticks with you. Do they have your back? We've all experienced being thrown under the bus. If we're honest, we've probably thrown people under the bus before. This is the opposite of that. This is saying, I've got your back no matter what, and I'll help you through it. So you see those three markers, and as you're thinking through your list of friends, do they help you? Do they make you better? And do they have your back? Now, we've got to flip that around them because it's not just about them. You can't go to those people on your list and say, I went to church on Sunday, and you need to make me better. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. Turn it around. Look in the mirror first. So here's the question. Are you, you, talk about yourself, am I, are you a real friend to the people that you hope are real friends to you? You understand the question? Are you that friend that you're hoping they are to you? Are you, so flip it around now, instead of are they helpful or do they make you better, flip it around and say, well, are you helpful? Are you the oh no person? Are you just draining and draining people? Are you helpful? Do you make them better? Do you have their backs? Flip it around and you've got to start with you. If you want a deep, meaningful relationship and friendship, you have to start here before you can have any expectations from somebody else. So those are those three markers that he goes through. And then he ends it, again, with the famous line, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken or not easily broken. And that's an interesting choice of, of language because it gives us a very specific visual. It's not, he doesn't say a chain or anything else. He literally says a, a cord of three strands. He looks at a rope and says, if you have three pieces of rope and you begin to tie them together, weave them together in a very specific way, you will see an incredible result, an incredible outcome. So if we were to hook these ropes up here, representing you know, three people, three friends, and you're asking the question, well, what does it look like to actually develop and maintain and sustain a meaningful relationship? Well, we know what it doesn't look like. Some of you might recognize kind of this one. If you've got one person, you've got another one, and the other person's the one that's just doing all the work. One person doesn't have to do a thing. The other person quite literally is just wrapping their lives around the other person. Thus the phrase, wrapped around your finger. Yes, if you would like to see what this looks like in real life, come over and watch me and my daughter interact sometimes. <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. And it's funny in that context because we all have that kind of a, a friend where it's like, oh, okay, they're wrapped around my finger. It's cute when she's two. Not so great when it becomes a codependent relationship, which becomes a true problem in relationships. Where it's one person does absolutely nothing, the other person does absolutely everything. That's not a deep, meaningful, real, or even helpful and healthy relationship. You can imagine a relationship that's just all knotted up, where you, you can't tell what's what and who's, it's, it's a mess, and that's the relationship where there's a lot of drama, 
where you're walking on eggshells with everybody, but here he's very specific. It says, if you want a meaningful relationship, it's a cord of three strands, and it's woven together. It's, in fact, it's braided together, and when you do it in the right way, notice there's actually like a sequence to it. There's a rhythm in it. It's every person doing their part, pulling together. Not one person's left out, not one person's carrying all the weight, but each individual in the meaningful relationship is doing their part. Are they being helpful? Are they making you better? Do they have your back? And you get a very different image of what that relationship actually looks like. That's what he is talking about. This kind of a relationship is not quickly or easily broken or undone. It's stronger. It's together. But notice, woven together very intentionally. Every single person in that relationship is doing their part, being helpful, having their backs, making each other better, and it's woven together to make a wonderful relationship. You've got to have it. Meaningless, all by yourself, and no one to walk through life with. Meaningful, a handful of people that you would say, help me, that make me better, and that always have my back. Meaningful friendships and relationships. This is why we talk a ton about groups around here. It's not just so that we can get you involved in one more thing. It's because I know the importance of having people in your life and a relationship in your life that at least resembles this, or it's a step towards that. So one more time, let me put the number on the screen because it's not a sales pitch. I know what your life looks like when you have people in your life like this. Text groups, find a group that works for you. Find people that you can start to say, no, if I need anything, I go to them. They know what I look like when I'm having a bad day and they ask me about it. They help me before I even need to say anything. You need people in your life and if you have them, great. Lean into that. If you don't have that, you need to start taking next steps to it and it starts with you. That's why... We do stuff like this. We do groups and we do gatherings. It's why I brought donuts to sit on the group's table so that it entices you and bribes you to at least go and have a conversation with one of our group leaders. I'm not ashamed of that. I'll do whatever I have to do to get you in a group because <laughs> I know what it's going to do in your life. But some of you are like, well, I mean, I've been down this road before. I've, I've worked towards this. I put time and effort into this and it didn't end up well. It did come apart. And in fact, we were so tightly woven together that coming apart, it hurt and you've gotten burned. I get it, sure. It is risky having relationships and friendships like this because you are so tightly woven together, it is very risky. There's no doubt about it. But I would say it's worth it, hands down. The risk of real and meaningful friendships is worth it every time, every time. Because we have to remind ourselves that the people that we do life with, they're still people. They will disappoint you. They will hurt you. It's going to happen. And so some of it is, is us going in with that expectation, the realistic expectation of I'm a person looking to have a friendship with another person. We are going to mess up. Friendships are messy. They are not easy. <laughs> they are most certainly messy. But your deep, real, and meaningful friends, they will stick with you through each and every time. So is it worth the risk? Absolutely. But we can't rely on our friends for everything. Hebrews says it like this. Hebrews chapter 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content 
with what you have. Here's why. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I love that, that first part. That God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Meaningful with God. Meaningless without God. Meaningful, some friends that help you make you better and have your back. Meaningless, trying to walk through life on your own. But combine those. Faith and friends. Understand, those don't replace one another. You can't say, well, I've got the best friends in the world. I don't need God. I'm putting my whole trust and hope and faith in my friends. They will let you down. But you also can't say, well, I've got faith in God, so I don't need anybody else. Sure, salvation might be set for you, but it is going to be a very difficult and long road through this life. Faith and friends. Friends will let you down. He never will. You begin by having trust in him. That's why when you're developing this kind of a relationship that's woven together, you always have to look at what you're connected to. If you're not anchored to Jesus, this falls apart extremely quickly. Without being anchored to something, it is not strong. So yes, a cord of three strands is not easily broken as long as it's tied to Jesus. Faith and friends you need both. May our faith be in Jesus, and may we invest in our friends and walk through this life the way Jesus intended us to, with him and with others. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for, for being the one, the only one that will never let us down, for being the one that we truly can put our full trust and hope in, that the promises that you've given us to never leave us, to never walk away from us, to always help us, May we hold so tightly to those promises. But God, may we not neglect the importance of meaningful relationships here and now. That we are not intended nor created to walk through this life on our own. But you've developed us, you made us to be in relationships with you and other people. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's risky. Yes, we get burned. Yes, we get hurt. But may we continue to with wisdom lean into those relationships. May we be the type of friend that we hope we have. Someone that helps others, makes others better, always has their backs, because that's what you've been for us and continue to be. So may we grow in our faith, may we grow with our friends, and may those two together add all the meaning we need in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.